just so you know, this is not alcoholic. It's safe. I won't get in trouble for whatever's in here. But I think it might be helpful for me to have today. This is uh, Valentine's Day. This is the day that we uh, you know, celebrate love and those that you love. Um, I am a novice in romance, as my wife will tell you. Um, there's much to be learned on my, my end. But I've, I've learned one aspect that uh, you cannot be romantic unless you're humble. You get that? You cannot be romantic unless you're humble. And I would also present to you that you cannot adequately love someone unless you're humble. Girls, those of you who are not married and may be considering it, if you see a guy who is full of himself, run away from him until he grows up. He cannot love you if he loves himself. You understand that? Got that, Laura? Okay. He can't love you if he loves himself. And that's one of the things in marriage counseling I try to detect and pray for humility. And so I, I think it is, it is okay to talk about humility today on Valentine's Day. But I, you know, as, as great as love is and romance as a beneficiary effect of love, of, of humility rather, I want to just present to you even something grander or more great. Uh, hopefully those of you who've been in part of our community and small group, you've been reading about seeking Him. Uh, you've been reading about what God does when He revives our hearts and seeking Him. I'm going to say the number one lesson to learn and seeking God is humility. If we miss what I'm going to talk about today and what we're going to be reading and discussing this week, you're going to, you're going to miss out on what God may want to do in your life. It is humility, probably the most neglected attribute in our society. But it is the most important lesson. I think about Colossians 2.6 says that just as you receive Christ, so walk ye in him. What is one of the first things that we do if we want to acknowledge Christ as our Savior? What was the first question I asked in the baptism pool? Have you done wrong in your life? You can't get to that question unless there's humility in your life. And then the second question. Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? Just as you receive Christ, so you walk. Just in that way of humility and acknowledging Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, that you need Him, you never, ever go past that. You never get too big for it. You never get too old for it. You never get too mature for it. Of asking God to forgive you of your sins and acknowledging your sin. And I'm going to say that... That pride is probably one of the number one problems in a community of faith, a church. So, 
I speak with just kind of guessing, but I also speak with a little experience, and I also speak of personal testimony. I know that it is the number one problem in my life is pride, and as a pastor of this community, as a leader, I got to think, if it's that in my life, I can say, without even knowing you, that pride is the number one problem in Green Pines Baptist, but Knowing you, I can also say pride is the number one problem in Green Pines Baptist. Do you get that? So humility, as we talk about this, as we read the scriptures, I pray that the Holy Spirit just convicts your heart and shows you vast areas where pride comes out in your life. Because if God does not do that, then it's just like running up against a wall for the next 11 weeks as we're studying about seeking Him. And you'll may get some stuff, but you'll think, you know what, pastor just made a big deal about it. I just didn't learn anything from it. <laughs> that happens because of pride. Do you understand that? So, uh, with that thought in mind, I want to ask that you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. It's going to be a text for study this morning, and, and I, I'm going to be kind of a lone voice in the midst of American society today. Humility is absent in America. Basically, back early in, the, in our life as a society, when there was a huge Puritan influence, we had an understanding of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But along the way, as we took on godly virtues of being uh, not being lazy, but being in, industrious and working hard, somewhere along the way, we got sidetracked by that and the benefits that come from that. And so God became absent. And so instead of saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The creed today is, I am my own shepherd, I shall not want. And we substitute God for ourselves, and it manifests itself in the business, and the commercials, and the, the very air that we breathe. But, John Piper has stated an interesting statement, humility follows God like a shadow. Humility follows God like a shadow. And where we want to be with God, we will be enshadowed by humility. A society without God will not applaud humility. Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds. Lay first the foundation of humility. Augustine. So let me ask you this question. What kind of person dwells with God? Well, the answer simply is the humble person. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place, also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. So who does God dwell with? The humble. You remember the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5? What's the very first one? Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It begins with understanding our bankrupt nature before God. Before you can be blessed. So, let's look at verse 5. And let's, as we read this together, stand in honor of this being God's word. You'll notice there's an imperative repeated three times in this passage of be humble. You get the idea humility is essential to Christian life and Christian community. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You may be seated. It's interesting, this text, it's, it's given to a church in the midst of persecution. Um, in chapter 5, he gives special words to the elders, the leaders of the church, and, and how to pastor, how to care for, how to oversee uh, the church and what attitude that we are to have, not to be lording it over these, but to serve willingly. Then in verse 5, he talks about the younger of the congregation. The younger of the congregation, that in the times of persecution and times of strife, make sure, and it applies then applies to every time, make sure there is humility with one toward another. Let me just say that when a church gets to the point when they start seeing themselves in sides, this side versus that side, this class versus that class, this age group versus this age group, the charter members versus the ones who have just joined, when they start doing that, there is a spirit against God in the heart. And pride has been exalted. Self is being exalted. The scripture says that there is to be humility, be humble one toward another. In other words, we don't see ourselves as sides. But we are instead subject unto God. We submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to one another. And so the older of the congregation, do not lord your age over the younger, but submit yourselves to God and say, God, what would you have us do? The younger of a congregation does not say, oh, they're old folks and they don't change and let's resist them. But instead, there is humility and say, what does God want? Not does our, not does, what does our generation want? And so he speaks to this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the, to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Remember, who's writing this? Yeah, there you go. All right, just <laughs> look at the top of the page. Peter, all right? I'm, I'm going to throw some softballs to you, all right? Peter, Peter. Now, Peter is a disciple of Jesus, okay? And so we know that he was one of the inner three of the inner 12. And we know that he was there at the Last Supper. Does anybody remember what Jesus did at Last Supper before the communion? He washed the feet. And, and remember how John describes it, that he, that he took the servant's cloth. 
I wonder if this image is in Peter's mind as he writes, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The idea of clothe yourselves is as a servant putting on a towel or an apron. This would have been strong in Peter's mind of what Jesus himself did. And what Jesus himself did, he did as an example to the apostles, the, the disciples. You do this to one another. Be servants one toward another. Clothe yourselves with humility. Now, I want to just share with you why. Why, why should we be humbled? The first reason is given right here in verse 5. For God opposes the proud. Now, he's quoting from uh, Psalm, a proverb right now. Uh, and this is a proverb that you find repeated as well in the New Testament and in, in the book of James. Uh, and so this is a proverb that's, that's popularly brought out in chapter 3, verse 34. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What does that mean, God opposes the proud? That Some words has as resistance, okay? I, th- I think one way that it kind of hits home with me was, was the last time I ever played backyard football was about five years ago, right uh, out there in the front yard. It was about this time of year, five years ago. Um, one of our members, some of you remember Chris Britt. He, he was a member here at that time. And he had the great idea, let's play flag football. And I'm always about football. I just played intramural football in seminary. I was like, I can do this. This is good. I, I'll play flag football. And so I played with some of the guys. Some of you guys, Graham was there. And some of the guys were there. And, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I had the idea at one point. Uh, to go against Chris Britt. Now, those of you who don't know, Chris Britt was about, I guess he's about 6'4", maybe 6'5". He's probably maybe 100 pounds heavier than me, and it's all muscle. And uh, But, you know, it's flag football, you know. So it's, it's all who's quicker. And, and so we, our team had received the ball, and, and he's come running down uh, to try to grab the flag. And, and I thought, I'll block Chris Britt. He's running full speed. And, I, you know, just adrenaline's pumping, which means your brain's not working. And, and, and so I'm just standing here like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm getting him. <laughs> and I see him come. The next thing I know, I'm on the ground. And I'm several feet from where I once was standing. I'm like, what happened? I was like, okay, yeah. Uh, force equals mass times acceleration. He's got greater mass and greater acceleration. This is bad. Uh, and so I'm out. And so what happened? Uh, he, he opposed me. He resisted me, and I went flying, and my, my goal was totally futile. It was, it was a wasted effort. Now, imagine that, and, and you know, if you're in a football team and you're lined up against a, a 300-pound NFL's talk, offensive tackle, he's going to scratch you, he's going to hit you, he's going to bite you, he's going to throw you down on the ground all throughout the game, all right? This is, this is God. God says, I'm going to oppose you. I'm your Huckleberry. Come on. I'm on the opposing side. What's your goal in life? What do you want to get done out of your hubris, out of your self-confidence, out of your strength, out of your abilities? You just need to know you're coming up against me and I'm going to take you down all life long. Why be humbled? Because if you stand in pride, you're standing against God and God's standing against you. So how do you know when gossip's or when, when pride is coming in your life. I, I think about Peter. Remember, Peter wrote this. He, Matthew 26, 33. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. This was the stand that he made right before Jesus was crucified. And, and Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to fall three times. You're going to swear you never knew me and cuss me. 
I wonder if this is coming up in Peter's mind as he's writing this. Yeah. When you're pride, God resists you. How do you know when pride's in your life? Gossip. Gossip is fueled by the feeling that I'm better than someone else. You ever gossip? How about a contentious spirit? Does it seem like everywhere you go there's contention around you? You want it's like, man, there's a bunch of contentious people all around me, wherever I go. All right, you know, you are the common denominator in all those situations. So maybe we need to be looking at ourselves. If there's contentious spirit, it comes from a feeling that I always know better. I always have a better plan. So I can to contend and argue with others. Proverbs 13.10 says that contention comes only by pride. Is there self-sufficiency in your life? This springs from the feeling that I can handle life alone. It includes such things as pride in my parents, abilities, standing. All these things are gifts from God, but yet we make them our own. Is there unforgiveness and bitterness? You're unwilling to forgive because you think people owe you something. You deserve better. And ultimately, any business, bitterness that develops, particularly against God, is because I think he has not given me what I deserve. I don't think we really want to discuss with God what we deserve. A judgmental spirit. When you're looking down on someone else, it's because you think you're better. The feelings of superiority over others. The fear of man, interesting enough. This comes from pride that wants to maintain your reputation before others so that they will think well of you. Proverbs 29 verse 25 speaks to this. Are you argumentative? Are you headstrong? Are you stubborn? Are you headstrong? Are you stubborn? Are you argumentative? You've got to be right. No, that's not just being strong to your convictions. It's being strong to pride. Are you unwilling to let God have control? of Your money, your time, your mouth, your body. Why? Because you think you can do a better job than God. And areas where you have problems trusting God is because you don't believe that God can do a better job than you with your time, your resources, your future, your past. Are you unwilling to be honest about your sin? You tend to blame others? Are you defending yourself? Why? Perhaps you want to give a better impression to others than is really true. Let me ask you, how about prayer? Do you pray? Your prayer is a direct relationship to your dependence on God. If you don't pray much, you don't depend on God much. Which means you depend on yourself, which is pride. Now, I pray that God speaks to your heart. And one of the things that we'll be doing this week as we study is on the last days, fifth day, we're going to take some time to examine some of these traits And I pray that God will use it in your life, that you have an honest evaluation by the Holy Spirit of what God is doing in your life. I'm telling you, you cannot come to God unless there's humility in your life. Why else do we humble ourselves? Well, as we keep on reading, not only does God oppose the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. Humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. All right, it's not to be self-depreciating or self-exalting. It's just to give a right estimate by God's help of yourself. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had one of those sins that seems like you just can't get out of your life? I mean, it's just, it's just always there. And you try, and you get frustrated, and after a while you may tell yourself, well, God, you know what? You just know who I am, and I'm trusting you forgiveness, and I'm just going to have to go with this. Now, there's nothing wrong with trusting in his forgiveness and his mercy, but there is something wrong with giving up on being like Christ. Let me just bring to your attention that if you want grace in your life to help you with that sin, you've got to add humility. Has it ever dawned on you that maybe you need to confess that sin to a Christian brother or a Christian sister? Perhaps it has and you quickly put it out of your mind. <laughs> Got, you know, yeah, that was just crazy thought I had one time. But, you know, that wasn't God. That was just, uh, you know, some weird pastor's idea. And I don't think you really need to go that far. Because if I go that far, well, then someone might think less of me than what I am. Did you hear what I said? Someone might think less of me than what I am. Now, that is not a sober Realistic view of who you are. That, that's pride. Humility is a sober estimate of who you are. If you've got a problem with a sin, that's who you are. It's not who you want to be, but that is who you are. It's not who you want others to think of you, but it's who you are. Guess what humility does? Humility says, you know what? I care more about being like Christ than whether my ep- reputation is intact. It's pride speaking. As long as pride's in your life, guess what? You're always going to have a problem with that sin. And you're fooling yourself. If you think, oh, I've tried everything God and this is just who, I, this is just who I'm going to be. I won't tell anybody. Do you hate the sin enough to sacrifice your reputation? When you humble yourself, when you confess your sin, which is is a way of humbling yourself, guess what God can do? He can give you grace, the strength, the desire, the resources needed to be like Him. But as long as you're covering up your sin, it won't happen. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his digressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Guess what a church community ought to be? It ought to be a place where you feel comfortable to confess your sins because guess what? Everyone else in that small group of yours, they may not admit it and they may not confess it, but they have problems too. The enemy of church is religion. Where we all try to look good 
so that God will be pleased with us and that the church will be pleased with us. You know what I long for is that a church will not will not honor those things of of absence of sin, but will honor abundance of repentance and will honor confession to be able to say to a small group of people, brother, sister, I've got a problem that I've been dealing with in my life. I've got a problem with gambling. I've got a problem with, with honesty. I've got a problem with lust. I've got a, I've got a problem with, with worry. I've got a problem with these things. And I need someone to help me. Will you pray for me? Who has the faith in God to do that? Who has the trust in God to do that? Who seeks God enough to do that? As long as a church has a veneer of holiness... It is not seeking God, but seeking themselves. As long as it's just polite. It is fooling themselves and they have a mild dose of Christianity to protect us from really getting right with God. And making a difference. What's in your life? Is it a veneer of holiness? Is it just a a, a surface? How about your small groups? You just talk about safe stuff. You want grace in your small group? You want grace in our church? You want grace in your life? Humility is going to come. And let me just share with you the idea that I don't want to come before the church. I don't want to walk down before anybody and state that I need repentance, that I need confession. Because people might look bad at me. That is wicked. That is wicked thinking that comes from hell. A church is a place where repentance is to be the norm. Where confession is to be the norm. Because God gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. And here's the third reason why we humble ourselves. So at the proper time, He may exalt you. The memory verse that we're going to be looking at for this next week is Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For everyone who, hum, who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, when you humble yourselves, it allows God to work, and when you exalt yourselves, it allows yourself to work, and God's got to work against you. But if you submit to Christ and humble yourselves, God says there will be a day and time when you will be exalted when my Son is exalted. It may not be happening in in the time of your employment, of of your workplace. It may not happen in the time of your family, in your lifetime. But it will happen when Christ is exalted. You too will be exalted because you have made Christ your life and you've humbled yourself under his hand. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. That word anxieties means to be drawn in different directions, to be divided, to be distracted. That's the idea. Cast all those things that distract you and divide you. Cast them onto Him. Now, the word casting, it's, it's related to the word humble yourself. What on earth does casting all your cares on Him have to do with humility? Do you understand that worry and anxiety is an expression of pride? Worry and anxiety is an expression of pride because you see it is yours to control. 
It is yours to manage the problem. It is yours to manage your life. It is yours to manage the future. And so as long as you see it as yours, you've got cause to worry. Because after all, you're the manager of the universe. Someone's got to be thinking about it. Has it ever dawned on you that it's God's to do? <coughs> Case is getting too dark for you. I want to wake you up there. Sorry about that. <clears throat> and so, humility comes and says, I trust in God. I cast my cares on you because notice what it says. This is the last reason we were humbling ourselves. Because he cares for you. I think that Peter has in his mind Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. On the sermon, part of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that's the passage that says, look, uh, Jesus, uh, God sees the, the sparrows fall into the ground. As he sees the sparrows fall on the ground, he says, you are much more valued than them. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. He, he loves you, he cares about you, he knows about you. Don't be like those who don't believe in God. You do not believe that God exists. You believe that God exists and prove it by trusting in Him. And see, so I found that when we are under authority, we are under an umbrella of their protection. If a child submits to their parents, it is not theirs to worry about whether or not they have enough money for food. That's just wrong. Sometimes children do that. What are you doing? You don't worry about food. That's not yours to do because you're not the provider. You're not exalting yourself to that position. And so what does the child do? The child just rests that mommy and daddy is going to take care of it. I, I learned the beauty of this when I was working in a church and, and I was under authority of a pastor and, and there was problems come up and I said, pastor, what do we need to do? <laughs> and I realized the beauty of just resting under that person's authority and I thought, God, I don't want to deal with this. Bam, now I'm the pastor. <laughs> but you go under the authority of God. There is the protection that is found underneath the umbrella of being under the authority. So you cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. Do you understand that God knows your need, that God loves you, and that God knows the future? He knows things that you do not know. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Or are you so full of yourself, of your reasoning, of your abilities that you think, God, I, I've got to argue with you about how you're handling things. Even worry is putting yourself above God. Listen, let me bring out some things. I, all sin is not equal. All sin is not equal. Pride is the worst. It is the root of many, of all evils. It is at the heart of it. You see, pride is self-satisfaction. Hosea chapter 13, verse 4 and 6 says this, I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. I've cared for you in the wilderness and the land of drought. As they had their pastor, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. When you're self-satisfied, pride enters in your life. Pride is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 through 17. God warns the people about what happens when they enter the promised land. Beware, lest when you've eaten and are satisfied and built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land from, from the land of Egypt. 
And you say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand have made me this wealth. That is one of the problems in America is the self-sufficiency and self-reliance. That is noble characteristics in American society is also pride. Pride considers itself above instruction. When you're not teachable, when no one can tell you what to do, when no leader can lead you and you're always at odds with the leader. Jeremiah 13 verse 9 and 10. I will destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, this wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts. And I would say that this not only is applying to God, but to those who God puts in your life as leaders when you are not listening to instruction. Pride is at the heart. Pride is insubordinate. Psalm 119 verse 21, Thou dost rebuke the arrogant, the cursed who wanders from thy commandments. When the commandments of God are spoken, pride turns away and will not submit. It rejects the right and authority of God to command. Pride takes credit for what God alone does. Remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel chapter 4, verse 30 says that Nebuchadnezzar is speaking, looking at the Babylon. Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, Get King Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty has been removed from you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, bestows it on whomever he wishes. And at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a wild beast. His mind goes crazy. He goes out into the wild and chews on grass like ox and donkeys. And then after a period of time, he's restored. And Daniel 4.37 has his testimony. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Pride takes credit for what God alone does. Pride exalts in being made much of. You know when you have people complimenting you? And there's that part of you that says, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Can you, can you bring out this aspect too? And, the, and you rejoice in that? That's your pride speaking. Matthew 23, verse 6, Jesus said, And they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats and the synagogues and respectful greetings of the marketplaces and being called by men, Rabbi. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Pride aspires to be in the place of God. Herod had a problem with in Acts chapter 12. And when people started praising him and calling him that he is like God, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was ate by worms and he died. Pride opposes the very existence of God. Psalm chapter 10 verse 4. The wicked and the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts are there is no God. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christ in our life. That was one of the issues with the Nazi solution. There is no God, so what does it matter if we wipe out a whole population? Pride refuses to trust in God. Proverbs 28, 25 contrasts arrogance and trust. It says an arrogant man stirs up strife but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. When you have a conflict in your life, 
Mark it. When there's a conflict in your life, there is pride. Mark it. And when a church has conflict, there is pride. Pride is anxious about the future. Isaiah 51 verse 12 and 13. God says to ancient, anxious, anxious Israel. He says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? And of the son of man who is made like grass. That you've forgotten the Lord your maker. He says, who are you to be afraid? Isn't that interesting? Who are you to be afraid? You are in pride even being afraid. Understand that God is your shepherd. So in case it hasn't become clear to you, what does God think about pride? He hates pride. And I hope by the power of the Spirit, you understand that pride is in your life. Pride is in the life of our church. You're born with it. It's our tendency. It is our nature. It expresses itself in a multitude of ways. I pray that God has spoken to your heart about some of these areas that you personally express your pride in. And I pray that God brings a spirit of repentance in your life and in my life. Because unless there is repentance of this area, seeking Him becomes a futile thing. Love becomes a futile thing. What does the Bible say about God and love? God is love. Pride is anti-God. Therefore, love can never be strong in your life where pride is strong in your life. Obedience will not be in your life. Faith will not be in your life. It is That which fills you up. As I said last week, you have a choice as you walk out each day here. You will either seek God or you will seek yourself. It is one or the other. And I pray that you will not seek yourself. I pray that I will not seek myself. And I pray that God will even work in my life. That even in areas that I'm not yet aware of in my pride, that he will identify in my life that I can repent and turn to him and that he'll give me the grace and where needed that I will confess to a brother or sister. I'm going to pray that God puts in your life and your mind right now a brother or sister in Christ That you will humble yourself before. That you will humble yourself before. I think that could be a very well real barometer. Or indicator rather. Of your obedience and trust in God. And how much you're seeking him. Is there a brother or sister. That you will confess your sins before. So, well, pastor, you know, that's a private thing. Yeah, I know. But why not? Well, I might get in trouble. Well, that could be the very thing that God uses to humble yourself. I'm embarrassed, pastor. Good. 
that's what God is wanting to do in your life. Because there's too much pride. Humble yourself. And watch how God gives you grace. Are you sick of your sin enough to humble yourself? Let's pray.